Hi, and welcome to another great message from Mr. Christian Outreach Church. We pray you'll be inspired and equipped by this teaching. For more information on Noosa Christian Outreach Church, please check out our website at noosacoc.org.au. Enjoy. Josh asked me if I would speak on the favour of God today, uh, so I will for the next 30 minutes or so. But I need to warn you in advance that some of what I believe about the favour of God clashes with what is currently taught in the churches in Australia. Uh, I make no apology because I think there's a lot of nonsense being taught that is untrue and it won't work, and there are other things that will work. Uh, one of the dangers of getting all your Bible teaching off the net for the same reason there's truth and error out there. There's a lot of rubbish out there and if you put your faith in a lie or a delusion it won't work. And there are many disappointed Christians who have been told their lives were going to get better and better and every day would be favoured of the Lord and every day would be filled with good things and it simply didn't happen. And they're wondering why some of the verses that we've been taught that teach that we're going to be wonderfully blessed are not true they don't say what we have read into them Uh, for example in Habakkuk some of what is taught is that all you need is a bigger vision a bigger goal write it down and if it tarries wait for it and one day your dreams will come true rubbish. The book of Habakkuk is not about that. If you read the book of Habakkuk through yourself with no commentaries, it'll take you to a different place. What happened is that God told Habakkuk, your country is going to be invaded, but through it I will clean up the people. And there's going to be years of suffering but at the end there's going to be a wonderful deliverance. And the vision may tarry, but it will come. The, thing, the vision that's coming was not a wonderful piece of good news. It was disaster for a few years. It was suffering. And at the end of the book of Habakkuk, he says, though the fig tree does not blossom and there be no fruit on the vine, if there's no cattle in the stall, If all the crops fail, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. Now that makes no sense if God had said everything is going to go well and you will never suffer. He said no such thing. But Habakkuk said, even if this happens, it won't steal my joy because I'm still connected with God. Job said, though he slay me, I will trust him. He didn't say it's impossible that I'll die. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. These are a doctrine we don't like in the West because we're living in affluence. You're not living in Iraq or Syria where your head could be taken off because of your faith. And preaching unending victory is a lie. It's true that Paul said we are more than conquerors in Christ, but he said it to people who were being persecuted for their faith He wrote it at the time when Nero was burning Christians alive, coating them in tar and using them to light his 
amusements. It's interesting both Peter and Paul never mention the name Nero, and yet they wrote their letters during the time of intense persecution. Can you see where I'm going with this? It's not very nice, is it? <laughs> I believe in blessing. I believe in victory. But I also believe we're not free to distort the Bible to make it what we hope it could have said. Many people quote Jeremiah 29, verse 11. I know the plans I've got you for good and not for evil to bring you to an ex expected end. But we don't look at the verse before and we don't read the whole chapter. And if we did, we'd end up somewhere different. What happened in Jeremiah 29 is that there was a prophet saying, God is going to set you free from everything in two years' time. And Jeremiah said, no, 70 years' time. And the good that God had planned for his people was going to happen in 70 years' time. He wasn't saying, I'm going to give you a great day. He wasn't saying, nothing will ever go wrong because I only plan good for you. He wasn't saying such a thing. He was saying, it may be hard, but the good time will come. It may be hard, but deliverance is sure. The promises will not fail, even though it will look as if they have. Now, you read that through and you'll see, I'm not lying to you, I'm telling you the truth. Because it's not kind to give you a pipe dream. The Bible says in the beginning of Proverbs, the complacency of the fool will destroy him. He might be having a happy little dream where he's crowned king and his wife loves him and his children are all successful. But you've got to wake him, wake him up from the dream with a fire alarm or he'll burn to death. If you're in a burning house and you're happy, complacent, it's kindness if your neighbor wakes you and says, run to escape. And I believe there are many Christians who are complacent. They're living comfortably. They're not particularly troubled, but they're headed for trouble. And the main reason they're headed for trouble is they're addicted to affluence and success or seeming success. And uh, the reason why I feel so strongly and speak so strongly on it without any apology is I don't want you to be unnecessarily hurt by what you believe. And I've seen people unnecessarily hurt. I used to uh, do things for full gospel businessmen, and I think they've done a tremendous amount of good all around the world. But there was one particular man in New Zealand who put everything on credit because he wanted to seem a success. He wanted to, you know, the Lord delights in the prosperity of his servant. The word in Hebrew is, uh, it means well-being. It means God wants to see you flourish and be happy just like any father wants to see their children do well that's a good thing and God the father is like that and eventually good will come eventually we will win when Paul says we're more than conquerors in Christ he was not saying over every incident he was saying in the long term oh yes the guy put everything on credit he went bankrupt but he went bankrupt trying to seem successful and you see the problem is the foundations weren't right and prosperity is real if it's built on real foundations. Wholeness is real if it goes all the way through. Financial prosperity is real if it's not just appearance. But again and again I see it. There, there is a, uh, a suburb in Wellington in the capital of New Zealand called Whitby. And there are a lot of beautiful homes there with women bringing children up alone. The reason? They're addicted to affluence. 
young couples who put everything on credit and within weeks they try to make their house look like their parents' one did after 40 years of saving and working. Instead of slowly paying off things, they put everything on credit and then they argue about money and then the husband leaves or the wife leaves and one of them's left with the children. And there's whole suburbs like that. Because we have believed that God is obligated to do us good every single day. And Romans 8.28 says, I know that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord and are called according to their purpose. Once again, it's long term. And when it says he makes all things work together for good, it's talking about God harmonizing or symphonizing. It's the same word that's being used. Instruments playing in symphony. It means that when you commit your life to the Lord and love him and walk in his will, God's promise is every incident, no matter how bad it seems, will work for your good. And I believe that every attack of the devil can be turned for good. Every horrible thing you've been through can be turned for good. But the idea that good is just the reward for you getting your thinking right and behaving right and that God therefore owes you and you can collect on the bill is dangerous. Yesterday I talked with a lady, she's a lovely lady, but she's gone through a very painful divorce. And when she went through the painful divorce, she got cancer. And when she got cancer, she got in touch with some silly new age teaching, it's vile, that basically says if you've got cancer, it's because you're bitter and unforgiving and you did it to yourself. And she's been interviewed on radio explaining that you can get free from cancer if you just forgive. Now that might be true in one case, but it's certainly not true of all. And the idea that every bad thing that happens to you is your fault is vicious and nasty. There are people who don't need to be kicked while they're down. And I told her, I said, look, you've sat under some false teaching. I don't believe you need to beat yourself up. It may be the man's a brute. It may be all his fault. It may not be your fault. But the idea that everything is your fault or that everything is the result of something you sowed and now you're reaping it, it makes one size fit all and it's not true. If you do a study for yourself just using your Strong's Concordance or your Google search, if you do a, a study on joy or victory in the Bible, you'll find that in both cases, both joy and victory, or even success in general, you'll find that in those cases, it's usually in the context of suffering, it's usually in the context of hardship or battle, it's usually saying to the Lord's people, when everything looks black, remember victory still exists and will still come. It's not saying deny reality. Now, instead of just opening the Bible, giving you a Bible study, I'm giving you a testimony of a life lived because I live by this and I see it to be true. I'm very aware that I'm a sinner. I'm very aware that I fall short of what God would have had me be or do. I've thought wrong, I've said wrong, I've done wrong over and over and I live on God's mercy. I live on His grace. But I know that Hebrews 4 verse 16 says that we can come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain grace in the hour of need. And that's a wonderful hope right there 
that I, can, I don't have to cringe. I don't have to crawl on my belly to God and say, I'm so ashamed, you might be shocked to see me here, I might not be welcome. I can come boldly. I see the children up the front coming boldly to those who they know will love them and give them a cuddle. They don't rush away or hide or act frightened because they're sure of their welcome. And God wants you to feel that way about him. That you can be sure of your welcome. You can come boldly. And when you come boldly, it may be to obtain grace. Grace means God's riches at Christ's expense. You're coming for something you don't deserve. You're, something, you're coming for something you have not earned. You're saying, I know I don't need justice because I'd end up damned. I don't want justice, I want grace. I want unmerited favor. I want to be treated kindly and welcomed as if I was cherished, even though I can think of a thousand reasons why I shouldn't be. And when you come to God, he says, don't cringe, stand upright, come boldly and realize what you're coming to. You're coming to a throne of grace. It's not a throne of judgment I've invited you to. It's a throne of grace. And you go to the throne of grace and you say, Heavenly Father, I fell again. He says, though you fall, though you fall, you shall not be cast down. For the Lord upholds you with his hand. And again and again, God says to his people, I want to bless you and I will bless you if you will do what I say. And that's a doctrine we don't like. We don't like God saying, I'll bless you if you do what I say. We want to be blessed whether we do what he says or not. And that's one of the great problems that holds people back, is that we want to be blessed. We want God to bless our plans. We want God to bless our day. We believe that he ought to and that he owes it to us. But we don't want to come on God's conditions. And God's given very clear cut conditions. So I'll just give you a few of them quickly because I believe that they are God's conditions. In First Peter 3.10, he says, Who is the man that wants to see good days and live many good days and see good? He should depart from wickedness and keep his lips clean. It, he's quoting Psalm 34, but he's, there are conditions. Every now and then you'll hear Christians preaching on unconditional love. Those words aren't in the Bible and God never promises unconditional love. His love has conditions. He says, keep yourself in the love of God. Jesus said, you've built your house on the rock if you listen and you do what I say. And in Deuteronomy chapter 28, there's a list of blessing and a list of cursing. The first 15 verses or 14 verses... Uh, the curses and God says the, these things all, uh, sorry this is the other way around the first uh, list is blessings these things will happen if you listen to the word of the Lord and you do it and there's some fantastic blessings in there and they still apply and if you read through Deuteronomy 28 you will see that list of the blessings of the law. But then begins a horrible list of curses. And there's some shocking things. 
failure to reproduce, failure to have victory, madness, confusion, seeing evil things. And once again God says these things happen when you refuse to listen and you refuse to obey. And we don't like such a doctrine, but it's clear in the Word. It's in Deuteronomy 28, it's in Leviticus 26, it's in John 7. It's many places where God says, if you listen. The book of Hebrews says, harden not your hearts. If you can hear God, harden not your hearts. In other words, yield. Billy Graham puts it this way. He says, every time God speaks to you, say yes, and his voice will seem clearer and louder. And I believe that's the truth. But if you harden your heart, his voice seems to be fainter and fainter until in the end you can't hear it at all. You might get your way, but your way doesn't bless you. And we need to give up our way. We need to be willing to say, Lord, you can get at my thoughts, you can get at my actions, you can speak to me, and wherever you go, I'll go. And when you do, you're open to blessing again, and blessing can happen. Most of you will know Ezekiel 37. You'll know the story of the Valley of the Dry Bones. It's where Israel had got to the point where they said, God has departed from us, our strength has dried up. And that's how many Christians feel. They feel, I'm hearing wonderful promises, I'm singing victory songs, and we've shouted, we've danced, and we've sung wildfire and all the other stuff and we're all the razzmatazz and we've done it all but I've still got to face the week where's the victory we sung about and the answer is in Ezekiel 37 very very plainly it says there were only two solutions and they end with a wonderful wonderful victory in Ezekiel 37 verse 10 then they stood on their feet an exceeding great army that's the plan of God for the church that it becomes an exceeding great army that makes the enemy tremble. But it only happens when the two conditions are fulfilled. The two conditions were this. Hear the word of the Lord. That was one. And the other one was receive the Holy Spirit. God told the prophet Ezekiel, you speak to the bones. The bones represent the dead church or the people of God who have stopped listening. And he says here, if you would listen, God will speak life into you. If you are in a dry place, draw near to God and say, speak to me and listen. And in listening, life will come. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing comes from the word of God. As God speaks to your heart, and it might be from some scripture you flipped open to, it might be some believer said something to you, it might be some remembered promise of God. As God speaks to your heart, his word revives you. And faith begins to be born in your heart. As you listen to God, in listening, and he teaches you how to listen, you don't even have to work all that out for yourself. Isaiah 50 verse 4 says that he's given us the ear of a disciple. That's the polite English translation of the Hebrew that says, God has dug my ear out, meaning he took all the wax out so you could listen. He's given me the ear of a disciple that I might hear a word. And I believe God will 
clean your ears out if you ask him to. He doesn't hate you. It's not a guessing game. He is willing for you to hear him, and he'll help you to hear him. But as you listen, life comes. Hope gets born again. Faith gets born again. And faith is the victory that overcomes the world. As God speaks faith into you. If I listen to Joyce Meyer, I hear her always talking about attitude and the favor of God. Those are her subjects. If I listen to Joel Austin, I come away believing I could just about take the world on and win because he preaches hope. And when I'm listening to hope like that, it's not nonsense hope. It's not non-conditional hope. It's hope when you yield to God. It's hope when you listen to God and are willing to do something about what he asked you to do. And when you do, that's the recipe for, it's a simple recipe. That's why we miss it. It's so simple. We want a complex thing. We're living in an age where people want to admire themselves for their know-how. And it's addictive. Everyone wants know, even preachers are addicted to it. I'll teach you know-how and you'll be a wonderful success. But the things of God swing on very little hinges and often they're very little points and they listen and obey. There used to be an old song, trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. That's what Deuteronomy 28 says. If you would listen and heed my voice and obey my commands, all these blessings will come upon you and overtake you. Which again is a lovely thought. You're traveling at 70 miles an hour and the blessing and traveling at 90. Guess who overtakes who? And so you have... And David's saying, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. He doesn't say, I'll follow the goodness and the mercy. He says, they'll follow me. And I wake up morning after morning looking for his mercy. I am so glad his mercies are renewed every morning because I need them. And there have been times when I've got so depressed that I haven't got out of the house because I didn't want to go to the bank and find it empty again. I just thought, I'm already disappointed. I'm not going to subject myself to another discouraging thing. And then I'll go. And very often all the rent money is there. Or the bill, lately there was a power bill over 400 bucks. And I stayed in my house because I thought, I don't want to find out there's no money. And I went and it was all there. It was all waiting. Or I get a house guest that arrives and I think, how on earth will I feed them? They come to Noosa, it's got to be a wonderful time. They want to eat out or they want this or they want that. And, and, and you live at a level that you don't normally live when you have somebody in your home. I'm not complaining about that. It's a great thing. It's a privilege to have visitors. But they cost. And I'm quite relieved when they go home and I can have baked beans again. <laughs> I'm a fat man. I, I haven't done it hard. It's, I'm not suggesting that. I do know the favor of God. And I've lived here in Noosa and eaten in great restaurants and drank good champagne and met wonderful people and had wonderful experiences here. I really have had the finest and the lowest. I've had both. And I found the same in the years of ministry. In fact, now that we're on the home run of what... I've said most of what I wanted to say. Now that we're on the home run of it, I just want to really add my testimony to the point because, as I said, I live this. This is not just dry theory. 
that's why I don't apologise for it because I know it works. So I'll give you a very brief summary of what I've said and then just go into the testimony. A brief summary of what I've said is this. In the Western church, in the affluent church, in the church that has not suffered the beheadings or the sufferings or the imprisonments or the deprivations, we forget we live in the top 2% of the world and a lot of our problems are first world problems because we're spoiled brats. We feel entitled. And if life doesn't go our way, we get cranky. And we're no different than a spoiled two-year-old screaming because his sister's got the placemat of the colour that he wanted. And we, I've seen it. I've seen it happen. I've seen a, a lady sitting in her car crying because the Lexus was the wrong colour. And you just go, put that woman in New Delhi <laughs> and see if she believes the same gospel that she's preaching over here. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. So what I'm saying is some of the verses that we love seem to suggest that we'll never have troubles or that if we do, God has failed us. And that's come from a wrong teaching and a misunderstanding of what God's favor is. God's favor does not mean that you're entitled and everyone else must face normal suffering. No one lived a more abundant, perfect life than the Lord Jesus but the cross was part of his life. And through it, the victory of God came. No one was more favored in this time than Joseph and given favor from the leader. But prison was part of his story. Some of the best letters of the New Testament were written in prison. They didn't seem like victory days, but God was working out something. I've said, yes, God will give victory. But a lot of the verses we look at, we use as if they're good luck charms and as if nothing will go wrong and they're there. We preach a false complacency and prosperity that simply doesn't deliver. And I began by saying, look, the reason I don't apologize for saying this is because if you believe nothing will ever go wrong and something does go wrong, you'll think God lost your address and he didn't. <laughs> or worse still, you'll be like my friend that had the divorce who's beating herself up because she thinks somehow that will turn the evil off and the trouble off in her life if she just repents enough and squirms enough and feels guilty enough, eventually she'll feel okay. It's a sad thing. The molested children often think it was their fault, and it wasn't. It was a clear-cut abuse of power, and it's widespread. In Australia, the horrible statistics, one in three women experiences domestic abuse. That's incredible. That's incredible. And I look at the suicide rate, I look at the addiction to ice, I go to shopping malls, I look at people and think these are the people to whom we preach. So few of them are happy. So many of them are under such a burden. And I, I know Jesus said, if you come to me, I'll lift your burdens. I'll give you rest. I'll give you peace. I believe it's possible to live in peace and rest while the battle still goes on. The Bible says God gave his people shalom in the midst of the battle. The battle hadn't stopped, but the peace had already come. And it's very similar to that as a Christian. David said, Thou hast made great thy loving kindness to me in a besieged city. 
besieged city means arrows, flaming arrows were coming over the wall. The enemy was still fighting. And David's saying, God has made great his loving kindness. Now, that's been my experience in my life, is that I've been maligned, I've been rejected. I have a sign on my fridge that says, rejection from men doesn't mean rejection from God. And that's really important. Accepted by God doesn't mean accepted by humans. Jesus was despised and rejected, but totally accepted by God. And uh, in one case, Jesus says to Peter, the things highly esteemed amongst men are an abomination to the Lord. In other words, you might think it's great, but that doesn't mean God thinks it's great. And so when I'm looking at grace or favor, I only want to believe that things are good if God can call them good. But if God can't call them good, I don't want to call them good either. And uh, as I said, the complacency of the fool will destroy them. Feeling great does not mean things are going great. And some of the scriptures we use, we're misusing Habakkuk is about divine judgment, but God helping his people and bringing them to what he promised them. Even so, he's saying, look, you don't know the end of the story, but I do, and it ends well. And, and as I said before, most scriptures on victory or joy are said to God's people in the middle of trouble where God is saying it's going to work out okay. Maybe not today, but eventually. And it's the but eventually that we're not hearing. That's the thing that's not being preached through the Western world. And it needs to be because otherwise we haven't got a gospel we can preach to the poor. It torments them. Uh, offering people help that never comes. The Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick. Uh, you wait and you wait and you wait. For the first two years you feel wonderful because victory's coming. After two years you realize it fizzles. But if you live the gospel that the Bible preaches, it works. And I can look back over the years now and say, if I died now, and I don't plan to, but that would be dramatic though. It would be a nice way to go out because you'd all be nice about it. But, but if I died any time soon, I have lived a great life. I've had wonderful privileges from God that I definitely did not deserve. I've come to the throne of grace. I've obtained grace in the hour of need. It has certainly happened. In New Zealand, I rented a funny little broken-down shop called the... Well, we eventually called it the Jesus Center... Uh, there were 500 students at the National School of Evangelism. Many of them went out to be missionaries or married each other or whatever. And some of those became people that I, I look at and say, Lord, what a privilege ever to have known them. Uh, I plan to move away from Noosa soon. I will look back on time with Josh and others and go, what a privilege to have been alongside a person like that and had their goodwill and their approval. It's not a right it's not an entitlement, it's a grace. C can you hear me? And it's the same when I eat. You know, I'll, there are some days that I will be walking home from town thanking the Lord for what just happened or who I just saw or whatever because I'm very aware that I'm living in grace. I'm living in favor. I'm experiencing favor again and again. I think of, I'm not saying any of this to boast because my God is your God and God is no respecter of persons. But uh, I used to travel America sometimes five months of every year for many years. 
and be accepted in the Episcopal churches and the Assemblies of God and the Church of God and in vineyard churches. And through it I saw another America. I saw rural America in Alabama or New Orleans or Florida or New York City or wherever. And now when I watch the news, it's familiar to me because I've stayed in the homes and eaten the food and seen how they were. It's the same with Australia. I've got memories now of the moon coming up over the sea in the tropics way up north and think those were good days. Those were good days. But then I remember Ecclesiastes 9 that says, don't say of yesterday, why was yesterday good? Because it's not from wisdom you ask. In other words, live in today and live for tomorrow. Don't, don't live in the past. Be thankful for the past, but don't live there. Otherwise, you'll lose today and tomorrow. But I look back and I just think how wonderful it has been to meet Australians as they are and see the families and see the early days of this movement even when there'd be a tin barn somewhere and this really did happen. Many times pastors and their wives living on their own savings, receiving no wages, would buy this shed S-H-E-D because I have a Kiwi accent uh, and they would line the walls and they would get plastic bucket seats and they would try and make a church out of it and uh, they would have 30, 40 people and be there Sunday after Sunday and it's hard to stay in one church preaching every Sunday to the same people and trying to keep them all happy because they get bored and after a while they think they know you and and that can lead to trouble because you have women taking out anger at all the men that let them down or disappointed them or authority figures and you have men uh, who are eager for power and have been told that they're not real men unless they're top dog and so the, the competitive streak between men is there and pastoring is a hard job and hard work and there's a lot of unseen work it's not just preaching on Sunday it's dealing with people who are as difficult as children but children are worth it, and so are the people of God. But I, I salute the, uh, the work of Christian workers all through the country who pioneered churches on the smell of an oily rag and brought them through to what they are now. And it, it's just wonderful. It's wonderful to look at. And, and, and not only the, the outreaches that have gone into the Solomon Islands and to Cambodia and to New Guinea and so on, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of lives are changing because people took faith steps and were willing to do the work and were willing to stay on when there seemed to be no way hoping that one day God would make a way and I look back on that and so when I look at the grace of God or the favor of God that's what I'm looking at I'm looking at none of this stopped God's kindness and so, as I say, the trips around America, the trips around Australia, the place in New Zealand, when I very first started out, uh, I was an atheistic hippie. And I got discovered by a man called Murray Thompson, who was a Maori evangelist who copied Billy Graham. Most of his sermons were lifted from Billy Graham, but now they were expressed by a Maori with a sense of humor and a very warm heart, and people loved him. And Billy Graham had a a gift for preaching the gospel very simply and authoritatively. He never apologized. He really did preach the cross. And it worked. 
and when Murray did, the same thing happened. And Murray had worked for a very long time. He'd, he'd been used in the revival in the Solomon Islands, and uh, he was accepted in Youth for Christ, Presbyterian, Anglican churches, Baptist churches, Brethren churches. And he took me with him as his disciple, and wherever he was accepted, I was accepted. And then came the Jesus marches, where 75,000 people marched uh, in the street, uh, Christians were quite radical in those days and they believed in being born again and filled with the Holy Spirit and delivered from demons. They believed in the spiritual gifts and it was spreading. It was spreading through all denominations. But because I'd hitched my wagon to a star, I was dragged along with him. And later on when we detached, I was now accepted across the denominations and that really opened the door for things I was later able to do. Looking back, that was all privilege. I could easily have lived in obscurity and been unknown, but God opened a door that I couldn't see coming that I had not earned. Can you hear it? And when I was in the Solomon Islands, I had a place with those people that I would not have had because of the man who taught me was one of the people they favored. And I was like his son. The same was true with another evangelist called Barry Smith. Uh, Brother Barry preached end-time events, and I was his friend, one of his many friends. He had many, many friends. At his funeral, everyone seemed to want to be his best friend, but I think we all were. But when he died, I got invited to Samoan congregations, and they would say, this is Barry's friend. It wasn't because of my name, it was because of Barry's name. But that opened a lot of doors that I could walk through just by association. And I've seen this as God's method as master strategist, that he brings you into contact with people and still will, people you haven't met yet, who will make a way for you. And a gift that might not have been stirred up in you yet that will come to the light. And when it does, the gift makes a way for you. Or brings you into contact with people where unknown to both of you, you were being formed for each other to make a perfect fit. I'm not talking about marriage. I'm talking about working relationships or even just witnessing opportunities. Your life has been shaped along particular lines because your Heavenly Father has been shaping it. But you are ready for your tomorrows because you have been prepared yesterday and today. And God brings you into your destiny. And to find God's favor... Keep listening, keep obeying, and walk out and meet your destiny, and the gates will open by themselves. See, the danger in the Western world is to think we strategize everything, we plan everything, we forecast everything. And the reason why that's nonsense, the book of Jeremiah says it's nonsense. It says it's not in the power of a man to plan out his own way, and it's true. And the reason why is because you can't see everything. There's so many unknown factors you're allowed to have goals, but let God decide which goals you can keep. You're allowed to have dreams, but God's not obligated to fill your dream just because you wrote it down and got stubborn about it. The only dream that God is ever obligated to fulfill is His for you. And uh, so that's where we are. I'd like to pray for you just for a moment. There will be an altar call where people can come and be prayed for. Heavenly Father, you're the God of grace and favor. You've told us to come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain grace. We know we don't deserve blessing, but you've offered it anyway. 
You've offered to forgive us. You've offered to make us righteous. You've offered to make us successful. You've said that you'll make all things work together for good for us as we love you and walk in your will and we believe you. But Father, we're not going to pout and sulk if things don't go our way. Father, would you open our eyes to the privileges we've already had? Would you open our eyes to your promises so that we believe in the future that you say is still possible? Would you help people here who will walk boldly into their future and greet your kindness? Lord, those that have thought that the troubles in their life were their fault, would you cleanse them of that and deliver them from it so that they throw away those anchors which are holding them back, the guilts, the shames, the defeats that are holding them back, thinking they're the cause of their own trouble. There's a robber, there's a thief, there's a murderer. And it has nothing to do with them. You are the one who delivers us from the robber. You're the one who delivers us from the murderer. You're the one who delivers us from the one who stole from us. And you're the one who gives abundant life. In Jesus' name, amen.